the last day, the last night, the last Sunday, 2023, the Lord has blessed us richly, hasn't he? He's sustained us even to this very hour, and we praise him for that. Open with me in 1 Timothy 4. I will be reading verses 7 and 8. This is a time that everyone thinks about resolutions, right? Well, maybe this will be helpful with that. First Timothy chapter 4 and verses 7 and 8. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Let's bow. Our Father, tonight we open your word before us with a desire to hear your voice speaking to that which you have written and inspired. Touch our lives tonight, Lord, and speak to us that we might learn more from these words right here. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness, for that is our desire. Lord, it's desired, our desire to grow in the image of Jesus Christ, to grow in godliness and to glorify you, and Lord, to see growth, to see progress in our lives, or till the very last day that you call us home, we've not yet reached perfection. Christ is our perfection, and Lord, we must continue growing, so bless us tonight. We worship you, we thank you for Christ the Savior. We pray for those who would love to be here but are unable to do so because of illness or other things. We just pray your blessings for each of them. And Lord, give us ears to hear tonight. Now I ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to focus the attention of this message on that last line of verse 7. Our emphasis will be there. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. But I'll begin with an illustration. This is an illustration, maybe you can call it a parable, but it's very, uh, a mo very modern parable, a parable of my own uh, creation, we'll call it that. But it's an illustration that will be parallel to the Great Commission. This message isn't about the Great Commission, but still it's important to what we're thinking about. This will parallel the Great Commission, which we know what the Great Commission teaches us in Matthew 28, right? Go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to observe all things. Well, think about this. Picture with me, if you would, you go down to the mall, and you're just walking through the mall, and you see a table set up over there on the side, and some soldiers there are very neat uniforms standing there and a, a video uh, machine there and, and a monitor there. Maybe it's just a laptop nowadays. Who knows what? But this is military recruiters. They're out looking for young men. They're out looking for young men who would volunteer to join military service. 
Well, one of the men who's standing there, he sees a young man walking by and he snags him and he says, come over here, sit down with me and, and watch something with me. And he starts the video there on the laptop. Well, what's on the laptop? What's on the video? Well, you know what it is. It's a, it, this is a recruitment video, right? And so there's going to be some heart-wrenching things in here that's going to appeal to his sense of, of patriotism. He's going to see flags, and he's going to hear marching music, and he's going to see terrorist attacks, and he's going to see mom, and he's going to see brothers and sisters and children. And very much is laid out there the enemies of this nation. And there's a, always a clear and present danger. And so they're trying to say, we need you to defend this country, to defend your family, and stand for liberty. And his heart is one. He says, you know, I've been thinking about this. And I think that's a good idea. I must do something for my country. I'm going to sign up, and I'm going to do it right now. So they pull out a contract right there. And he sits down there and takes the pen and he signs the contract. He's going into the Marines. You can see a parallel to the Great Commission there, can't you? The Lord says, make disciples. And so here they were winning their disciple. They won his heart. It's only a limited parallel here. But then, you know, we make disciples here and he he made a, a, a public expressed a public desire I want to serve my country and he made a commitment there like we do in baptism I'll walk with the Lord and we say that in baptism well he put his name on the contract so what comes next with his young man he's seen the video he signed the contract I'm joining the Marines so what comes next well the recruiter says follow me you know this is what happens right he says follow me and they walk out the door, and there's a van sitting there outside the mall, and he says, get in. Well, they load him up, and they drive him to the airport. And he says, what's going on? They say, don't worry. Just get on the plane when we get to the airport. And then they say, well, you get on, but this is going to be a long flight. Don't be surprised. And he's on the airplane, the sun rises, the sun sets, and man, he's gone a long way on this flight. Hmm. And he looks out when the sun's up, and he's never seen these places before. These are ranges of mountains that are totally foreign to anything that he's familiar with. And he says, what's going on? Where are we? They say, well, this is your field of service. And they slap a helmet on his head, and they strap a parachute on his back, stick a sniper's rifle in his hand, open the door, and they push him, and they say, go get him. And he's falling out the door, and as he's plummeting, they shout, don't worry, you'll be fine. <laughs> There's a recipe for disaster. It doesn't happen that way, does it? Not at all. It's missing that third element that the military sees as absolutely necessary and the Great Commission points out as necessary too. What's that third element of the Great Commission? Teaching them to observe all things. You got to teach them and they have to observe, do those things that they're taught, right? Military never does that, my illustration. There's months, 
sometimes years for certain things of conditioning, of teaching, of training. Do you ever feel as a Christian like you were just pushed out the door and you're falling and not knowing where in the world am I supposed to do now? Well, that's what you need the church for, teaching to observe. And all the teaching in the church is designed exactly for that. The purpose is to teach the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ to observe all things, to walk with the Lord as he teaches us in his word. And that's more than just sitting on the pew on Sunday and then never thinking again about what you just heard preached isn't it? Well, this is an illustration that just comes out of my own imagination, but obviously it parallels some scriptural truth. But is my illustration itself uh, without a scriptural basis? Well, you know what? If we look into the scriptures, we see that the Apostle Paul was very fond of colorful, lively, practical illustrations, and he was fond of military illustrations. <laughs> he gave more than one. Let's look at some just real quickly. We'll just, just, just read them just to see that they're there. Romans 13 and verse 12. Romans 13 and verse 12, we think about spiritual armor, and we always think about Ephesians, right? Well, he mentions that in more than one place. Romans 13 and verse 12, it, Paul says this, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. There he is talking about putting armor on. That's equipment for a soldier. He's giving a military illustration. You need to be prepared to face the darkness. And of course, armor is generally speaking defensive preparation, isn't it? We skip over to 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 8. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for the helmet, the hope of salvation. There, again, he's given another military illustration, a breastplate and a helmet. And, of course, he's given it a spiritual application. Faith, love, hope. Again, primarily defensive equipment. But then the most famous, Ephesians, best known. I don't know if it's most famous, but best known. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. I'm not trying to expound all of those, just let you see that he liked military illustrations. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Hmm, that's a word that's going to be important. And in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We are wrestling, we are fighting but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, we have a battle. We're fighting a battle. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, 
Again, that military application. That ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above of all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. That soldier needs strength. He needs armor. He needs weapons. And he needs to be on watch. And we see all of those things mentioned in these verses. There's a very clear parallel there. And 2 Timothy 2. Three and four. Second Timothy chapter two, verses three and four. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Of course, he's speaking to Timothy, a, a gospel preacher, but that's true of every Christian. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man warreth. No man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So he calls us soldiers. And we have to be unentangled from the things of the world. And we have to endure hardness as a good soldier. So we've read several verses here where it talks about armor and battle and watching and fighting and, and these sort of things. And, you know, if we try to put a mental picture, if we read the, yeah, we read the, the passage on the armor. Hold the armor of God. What is the mental picture that we should call to mind as we listen to all of those things that he's saying there? Is it a piece of armor, a sword, a helmet, the shoes, the girdle that he mentioned there? Is it these pieces of armor, the shield, what we should see in our mind when we picture the things that are being stated there is what he said in Ephesians 6, 11. He said, put on. What do we see when we see this picture? We see ourselves standing clothed. We put on that armor and we see ourselves standing clothed or Wearing that armor, standing in battle, engaging the enemy, that should be the mental picture that comes to our mind. Not a helmet and not a sword and not a shield, but ourselves equipped with these things, ready to serve the Lord as he's called us to do. So there we see Paul's illustrations of serving God and how it, it is so similar to military Preparation. There's another kind of illustration that Paul was real fond of, and it's very closely similar in, in many aspects to, to the military illustrations. But you know what that is? It's athletic illustrations. Paul used that frequently. Let's look at some verses and see how he called that to mind and how he led them to picture those things. Look in 2 Timothy 2.5. Right here in this same 
passage. If a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. Here's the striving of an athlete. You know, once in a while I mention what the Greek words are. Usually it's not a, a, a very helpful when you mention Greek words. But you know what the Greek word is here that's translated strive? It's athleo. <laughs> Does that sound like athlete? There's a reason for that. He's talking about the striving of an athlete. As he's in competition. And we strive for masters. We strive to win is what he's saying here. But if you're going to strive to win, there's rules if you're going to wear the crown. There's a certain way to do it. You can't just cut corners. You can't take shortcuts. You can't cheat. <clears throat> you go according to the rules. And if you strive for, to win, you can receive the crown if you strive lawfully. That's what he's saying there. 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. Here he says, I have fought a good fight. Here's a different kind of athlete. Here's one who is a boxer. He fought a good fight. Here is another one. He says, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Here's one who is a runner. I finished my course. He ran the race. And henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not me only, but to all them that love his appearing. This Christian life is striving as an athlete who is fighting, who is running a race, and we're trying to get to that goal line. According to the rules, and finish the course. He uses this same illustration Several times. Go back to 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. You have it before I do up on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Here we see, Know ye not that they which run in a race, so here he's using the same type of illustration, they which run in a race, run all. Yeah, everyone's in the race. Well, they're all running. But one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain. Not everyone's going to receive the prize. Twenty-five, and everyone that, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. He's striving, striving to win. Well, he's temperate. What does that mean? He's thinking about, you know, there's certain things I can do on a day-to-day -day basis and certain things I can't do, not if I want to win as an athlete. Whether it's playing football or running a race or boxing, you know, there's just some things you can't do. There's certain things that you can't eat. And there's certain times that you have to dedicate to one thing in certain times to dedicate to another, but certainly the night before the contest, you're not going to go out and stay out all night getting drunk. You're temperate in all things. You think about how is what I'm wanting to do going to affect my competition? So he's temperate in all things. Now they do it 
to obtain a corruptible crown. And he's thinking about the athletes in his illustration. He says, and all they're getting is a crown that's going to go away. It's going to decay, but we an incorruptible. Just a, a, a laurel crown, just a few leaves or even a piece of gold, that's all going to be melted and burned up one day. But we an incorruptible, he says. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, but not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He's talking about I exercise self-discipline. I exercise self-control. Keep under my body because I am running to win the race. So there's the illustration. And there in, in 26... He's drawing again from the illustration of boxing, not as one that beateth the air. He fights not as one that's beating the air. Philippians 1.27. This one is useful. Philippians 1 and 27. Only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, I already pointed out that word striving indicated athletic striving, athletic competition. What is this word here where it says striving together? It is a compound word. It is soon athleo. Soon means together. So striving as an athlete, competing together. So now he's brought in the idea of teamwork. Not just you as an individual athlete, but you as a team member. And as a team member, we know that we've got others on our team who are right there at our side, and we're working together, and I'm depending on them, and they're depending on me because we are striving together to win whatever the competition is. And he says, I want to know that as a team. And it's the same with that illustration of a soldier. It's, they don't send soldiers out all by themselves unless it's a pretty special <laughs> situation. I don't know of it happening. No, they send a team out. Why? Because they depend on one another. They're there watching each other's back, and they're there to pick one another up, and they're there to defend one another and to work together toward the goal as a team is in, in their athletic competition. They're striving together. And the illustration in Philippians 3.13 is really quite a picture when he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He uses the expression there of one who is running a race, and he says, reaching forth. Every one of us have seen that when we've watched a race. 
you're running down the course, you're running down the track, and you know, you're not running by yourself. There's, there's someone on both sides here, and you're running neck and neck, and you're all, you can see the goal line, and you're close, and you know they're close. And so what are you doing when you come to the goal line? You are leaning forward as far as you can because you want to get your nose out there farther than their nose if necessary because you're reaching forth to be the first to cross the finish line. It's talking about putting in the energy, the effort, and the attention to do whatever it takes to win the race. Leaning forward toward the finish. And then Hebrews 12 and verse 1, one more athletic illustration. Hebrews 12 and verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. This is a picture from an arena with witnesses gathered around in the arena. Let us lay aside every weight. If you're out there in the arena competing, you lay aside every weight, every hindrance. Let us lay aside every weight, and he makes it very clear that he's making a spiritual application, and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And so they would strip down to the very bare minimum, get rid of all the weight, because they want to run with no, no hindrance whatsoever, because they want to run that race that's set before them. So we can see Paul has his military illustrations. We can see he has his athletic illustrations. What is an essential factor in both soldiering and competing as an athlete? It's training and exercise. Do they just read a book, then run out onto the field? Oh, that's not going to cut it. Not going to cut it in war, and it's not going to cut it in athletic competition. Both soldiering and athletics are notorious for hard work. It takes effort to be ready to soldier. It takes effort to strive as an athlete. Hard work. There's planning. What is it we're trying to do? Well, how are we gonna achieve those goals? And there's planning. And then there's effort applied. Whether it's teamwork or whether it's soldiering, there is effort applied, effort applied over extended time. You know, you just can't give up. You have to uh, work to be prepared to achieve the goal. And so they require training. They require conditioning. If, if you're too weak, what do you have to do? You have to exercise. And if you're still too weak, what do you have to do? You have to exercise some more because you exercise and you condition and you build up your strength so that whenever you face the trial, you're not going to give out. You're not going to give up. You build resistance. You build endurance. 
And then there is practice, practice, practice. A soldier or an athlete, they will run and they will run and they will run and they will exercise so they do not weary easily on the field. And they study, study their technique, study their goals, study their enemies, and they prepare themselves. And they practice what they study. If they put a rifle in your hand, they take you to the range and you shoot and you shoot and you shoot until you can hit the target. They want men who are prepared. You have to be able to hit the mark. In football, those receivers, all that time that they practice before the season starts, and then even once the season starts, those football receivers, the quarterback's going to be throwing the ball to them. They go out and they run the route, and they know how many steps they have to take, and they know where they have to turn, and they know the angle at which they have to turn, and the quarterback knows how many steps they're going to take and where they're going to turn and the angle at which they're going to turn so that he can throw the ball there while they're still over here because he knows that's where they're going to be when the ball gets there. You see, part of what they're doing is they are practicing it to the point that they don't have to think about it when they get out there on the field. They have run it to where it becomes natural to them. And they do all that before they get to the field. Well, there's some pretty clear illustrations of the Christian life. We should not expect to excel in the disciplines of the Christian life just by having heard it mentioned one time in a sermon, having read it one time in the Bible. We can't be uncertain about our goals. Back where we read in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 9, 26, remember what... Paul said there about his fighting, 1 Corinthians 9, 26, he said, therefore, so I run, not as uncertainly. He had a clear goal. He knew where he was going. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. You see, he couldn't be uncertain of his goals. He had to make goals, and he had to aim precisely to achieve those goals. And he can't fight as one who's just beating the air. He's got to be ready to fight the enemy. We need clear and certain goals that we are trying to achieve in our walk with the Lord. We've thought about this. We've studied it. We've made plans, and we are making goals to reach or taking steps to reach those goals. As we go back to our opening text in 1 Timothy 4, 7, the last line there says, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. There is the highest goal right there. It is godliness. That is our overarching goal. Godliness means reverence. 
It means a God-centered life. To where we have an attitude, a walk, a life that is well-pleasing to God. That is our goal. Godliness. But there are some specific goals that fall under that broad term that we have to aim at, strive to achieve. Here's one of those verses where the Greek word is interesting, not because of what it means. Well, let me tell you, I could say it this way. You know what this Greek word means? Exercise thyself unto godliness. You know what that word translated exercise means? The Greek word? It means exercise. <laughs> but it's interesting because of what the Greek word is. You know what the Greek word is? Gumnadso. Does that sound like anything you recognize? How about gymnasium? <laughs> There's the root. This is another athletic illustration. Exercise. It means literally exercise. It means literally you have your goals. And this is kind of exercise that can be applied to athleticism or to soldiering or to the Christian life. You have your goals and you are striving. And so you have made the plans. You have, you have exercised. You have strived. You have conditioned yourself so that you are ready to face the enemy and to run the race and reach the finish line. Gumnadso means exercise. It means exercise vigorously. It means train. It means discipline yourself. So I haven't heard that one sermon. You know what we do? We take that sermon home with us. And we think about it. And we seek specific disciplines to apply that sermon because we need more marching orders. We need skills for the Christian life. How many things have we heard over and over and over that we should be doing as Christians? And we listen to that sermon and we say, that's right, I should be doing that. But there was very little that came out of it, just like so many resolutions. Why? Because there was no exercise. There was no effort put into achieving the goal. A soldier or an athlete or a Christian must invest the time and effort to achieve the goals that the Lord sets before us. My unusual counsel to you tonight will be this. You know, that we all know so many things, every one of us, so many things in our life that we know we should be doing that we're not doing or we're doing, but we're not doing well. We're just kind of muddling along. 
And my counsel to you tonight is just going to be keep right on muddling along in all but one of those things. And what I want you to do is pick one. Do the best you can in all those others, but pick one. And take this week or take this month, but set a specific time. Look up verses that apply to whatever that is that you have picked out. And you think and you pray and you look at Scripture and you seek, how can I implement that in my life? And then begin to do it. And you're going to fail. And so you know what you need to do? Get up and do it again. And then get up and do it again. And at the end of the day, evaluate the effort that you put into it and say, where did I go wrong? Because sooner or later, you're going to go wrong. And you, so you evaluate and say, where did I go wrong? What was the very first wrong step that I took? Find your weak spots. But then plan now while you're in the evaluation Plan, what am I going to do the next time when I reach the same spot where I took the wrong step? What am I going to do next time differently? And so what you're doing is you're planning and you're exercising. You are doing it and you're doing it over again. And talk to other Christians, other Christian soldiers with more experience because they can encourage you and they can make suggestions and they can pray with you. And they can think and talk through with you what to do when you're faced with combat. When I was in Bible college, we'd taken homiletics class. We would study, we didn't just study the whole sermon in one in one class or in one, one, one chapter, we studied intros, introductions, and then we would write introductions. And then we would evaluate our introductions and rewrite our introductions. And then we would study illustrations and write illustrations and give illustrations and then evaluate our illustrations and write outlines. Different chapter, different point. But you see, we went through it systematically, breaking it down into steps so that then you can put it all together. And then we would stand and deliver a sermon and evaluate. What were my weak points? Boy, we need to keep doing that. Because <laughs> I've got a few. What were my weak points? What needs to be changed? What needs to be improved? And start over because, you know, if we're standing in the pulpit, we're doing this for the glory of God and want to communicate truth. So we want to do the best job we can. Not depending upon the flesh and not depending on human wisdom, depending on the Lord, but doing the best we can. And we need that in every one of the Christian disciplines. We should be training our minds. Shaping our character. Building up our relationships. That goes so many directions. 
So many things that you may need to consider and pray about and evaluate and say, well, this is going to be the one this week, and then that'll be next month. And then, but whatever, you've got so many things that you can evaluate and consider and put on the list here. Well, what about my daily schedule? What about my prayer life? What about my repentance and confession? What about my Bible reading? What about scripture memorization? What about my demonstration of love to others, love to neighbors, or love to enemies? Or that exhortation, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are righteous, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, if there are any things that good and lovely, think on these things when we find our minds and our thoughts going off in the wrong direction. What about my service? Does it need to be evaluated? What about the grudges that I'm holding? Does that need to be evaluated? My lack of forgiveness. What about kindness? What about patience? What about forgiving as we have been forgiven by Christ? Mortifying the flesh, mortifying anger. See, there's so many things that we can deal with. Our witness, dealing with temptations, specific sins. We shouldn't be satisfied just to stumble along. Plan to grow. Exercise yourself. Exercise builds resistance and endurance and winning at the finish line. If we're faithful to the third element of the commission, as a church, as a pastor, we can't just kick you out the door. As a church, we need to be speaking to one another, building up one another, being there for one another until we can all be observing all things together, striving together, equipping one another, and exercising to equip ourselves. Exercise thyself unto godliness. For Godliness is profitable unto all things. Verse 8. Let's pray.